Hello, everybody. Today is November 4th, 2015. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Thank you so much for watching. Um, today on the podcast, we will talk about Hendo Belfour 3. That's coming up. We'll get to the Bellator show. That's on Friday. So there'll be a Friday Bellator show, Saturday UFC. That's kind of fun, I guess. It's been a little while. Um, and then, of course, all the other news and notes that's going on around the sport. The World Series of Fighting lawsuit, those horrendous t-shirts, those... Um, uh, Ronda Rousey's coach filing for bankruptcy, which was a totally bizarre, out-of-left-field kind of thing. Lots to get to. All of your questions and comments, so I appreciate you being here today. To get your questions and comments most likely answered, uh, go to MMAfighting.com and leave a comment or whatever question in the comment section. Uh, those that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. You may also tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. You can further email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. Program, well, I shouldn't say programming note, housekeeping note. So, a lot of you guys have been mentioning t-shirts, and I'm basically against the idea. Um, but I will tell you something that recently happened. Uh, a designer reached out to me, a graphic designer, um, who, I won't say where he works and what he does, but he had a pretty extensive and amazing portfolio of working for some real companies and making real dollars doing it. And he has offered to do a shirt for the podcast for, well, for my services anyway, um, for free. Now, it, I don't know when this is going to be done, and I don't know what it's going to look like. We're just sort of like talking about ideas about it. Um, if and when we make one, because even then it's not a guarantee we're going to have one. But if and then, if we decide to go forward with it, if it comes up with some looks that I think are good, um, I guess we'll sell them. And then all of the proceeds will go to a charity of, uh, you know, I guess my choosing. I won't take a dime from it. But, um, and it won't be about me. It'll be about the podcast. So it'll be like our thing. Um, and you can wear it. And this designer is like, I saw his stuff and I was blown away. I was like, I was like wow, this is like the real deal. So uh, I know some of you guys had sent in some of your own samples. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm not guaranteeing you that we're going to have one, but it looks like we are. And when we do, they'll be available for sale somewhere. I'll figure it all out. And then um, all the proceeds will probably go to some kind of charity. And my preferred charity is probably going to be something related to um, the welfare of animals. Just giving you a heads up. So so there we are. If you want a, a podcast t-shirt, you're, it looks like you're in luck. Uh, probably. All right. So let's get this show on the road. Let's get to these questions if we can. Um First up on the docket. Oh, by the way, I mean, how could I forget? Brought to you by, not officially, but I mean, here's how no, here's how you know how unhealthy this is. I mean, there's nothing in the natural world that's this color, except like the Aurora Borealis. There's, I mean, this is like, how, how can this possibly be beneficial to you in any capacity whatsoever? It can't. Except I love it. And that's all that matters. All right. Let's get going. All right, first up, first question. Luke, make your choice. If for some reason you were only allowed to watch one of these cards this weekend, would it be Bellator 145 or the UFC card in Brazil? And why would you make that choice over the other? If I could only watch one card, now for my own purposes, um, I'm going to assume, I'm going to, 
I'm going to take out the idea of Belfort fighting without really having to answer for any of this stuff and the Deadspin article. I'm going to put that aside. If we're just asking about the merit, the meritocracy of the fights themselves. So the prelim card for the Bellator is largely, you know, insignificant. I don't think there's anything really too much of any note there. Yeah, no, there's not a whole lot. I think it's like a Shamrock FC card as the undercard. Um, and then Augusto Sakai is fighting. But there's nothing really to it. So you're really comparing main card to main card unless you want to say the prelim card adds extra value. I would, pr- If I had to watch one, um, it's hard to answer. Friday night is better for me uh, in terms of like staying up late and, and whatever. I, uh, Saturday night, I, I uh, it's tough to answer. The, the short answer is probably the UFC card. There's a little bit more going on there. Um, there are some better prospects there. Thomas Almeida is interesting. Glover Teixeira versus Patrick Cummings is interesting. You know, seeing what happens with Vitor Belfort, Dan Henderson has some relevancy. Um, Gilbert Burns versus Rashid Magomedov. This is important. Lisa Tebow, Abel Trujillo. So to me, though, like if you're asking which fight am I most interested in this weekend, it's definitely the Bellator main event. That single fight has me really interested. And I like Daniel Strauss's chances, if I'm being honest. Um, I thought the first time he just wasn't really prepared for the moment. Second time he kind of had Pitbull's number and then just gave it away late but looked a lot different. I don't think so this time. I think Pitbull's, um, the damage he's taken over his career is going to show. I, I definitely think he has better power than Strauss, but Strauss is quicker. Um, Strauss has better wrestling. And, you know, if he doesn't have a mental lapse like he had last time, which in some ways has kind of defined the losses of his career, in some cases, he's, even the wins, nevertheless, still, I think that to me is really kind of interesting. Can Strauss... Um, be that guy again in Bellator. I think that for me, uh, Will Brooks is going to just absolutely roll over on Marcin Held. Uh, he should win that, you know, I won't say easily, but without too much challenge. And the only other fight on that Bellator card that really has me interested is the Emmanuel Sanchez versus Justin Lawrence fight. I like Sanchez in that one too. Sanchez gave Patrick Cummings uh, pretty much, not Patrick Cummings, what am I saying? Pat uh, Pat Cummings, uh, not Patrick Cummins. Um, wait, what am I saying? Pat Curran. Sorry. Emmanuel Sanchez gave Pat Curran everything he could handle and lost that fight, but was definitely competitive. Uh, looked good against Henry Morales in his, in his last contest. I think he beats Justin Lawrence for no other reason than he's got really proactive offense. And the, but and those are the most interesting fights in that Bellator card. But then, you know, Belfort Henderson's kind of, you know, it's got some significance, especially with in the light of the Deadspin story. Uh, to share Cummins, you never know who's going to wind up potentially – you know, if Cummins wins this, that's a huge win for his career. Uh, Thomas Almeida, Anthony Burchak, that's, you know, two top dog uh, competitors, especially Almeida. How far can he go? Uh, Oliver Holman, Holman, I don't really care about. Gilbert Burns, I mean, you know, the guy's an unbelievable player in jiu-jitsu. Recently lost to Marcelo Garcia Black Belt, uh, Mateus Denise, I think at the New York, I want to say the New York Open for IBJJF. Or was it Nogi? It was in New York. I'm pretty sure it was in New York Open. Be that as it may, he lost that, but barely. You know, Fabio Maldonado, Corey Anderson, I don't really care about. It. I know some of you all might. It just doesn't really appeal to me. Uh, Jan Cabral with his jiu-jitsu versus Johnny Case. Gleason Tebow versus Abel Trujillo. There's just a lot more going on with the UFC, understandably. You know, bigger, better company. So, And the Pedro Munoz is on there. So definitely of the two, the UFC card is, is better. Um, but I'm personally most invested in that Daniel Strauss uh, pitbull fight. I kind of... 
I kind of want to see how that one goes. I'm, I'm very, very curious about that. And arguably, you know, those are the two best fighters competing this weekend in a single bout against one another. Um, you know, Cummins and Teixeira, maybe. Maldonado, or excuse me, Burns. Stuff call, but certainly for featherweights, that's elite featherweights going at it, right? All right. Then someone says Bradley Rios, and there you go for boxing. Bradley Rios is right there as well. Um, all right, Fighters Union. Luke, if you were to be asked to advise current as well as future generations of fighters and their teams on how to get go about organizing themselves, I am not. I I, I do not work for a union. I do not know how the process of unionization works in terms of organizing. It is not an area of expertise I can share with you. I mean, we all know what has to happen in terms of getting reclassified in court and then, uh, and then, um, you know, voting to organize and then, you know, you become a union essentially thereafter. But uh, this is not, this is not a strong piece of information that I can give you. All right. All right, so the stupid UFC shirts. These are the ones, if you guys haven't seen these, these are the stick figures. So the shirt can either be black or white. Most of the ones I saw circulated were black. And the stick figures are gray and have, like, red gloves and red shorts. And if you've seen them, it's like jiu-jitsu, UFC, boxing, UFC, freestyle wrestling, UFC, taekwondo, UFC, whatever, all these different, like, uh, disciplines. And, I mean, these are these shirts are so bad that I wrote yesterday on Twitter, they are bad to the point of being bizarre. Like, they don't even really make sense that someone would produce something like this. Uh, Amateurish would be a uh, kind way to describe it. There is nothing interesting about them at all. And they seem, um, credit to a writer, or a a part-time writer, but I think he works for USA Wrestling, I'm not sure. Or maybe he works for... um, um, I'm not exactly sure who he works for. Anyway, his name is Timothy Foley. I think he's also a jiu-jitsu brown belt. And he was saying they look highly derivative of the old uh, Olympic renderings to define different athletic endeavors. They look they look like that. So, like, at a, at a minimum, they're just bad. But when you really inspect inspect them, they're uninspired, arguably derivative. They're, they're, I mean, they're painful, painful to look at, truly. Um, and here's the interesting part about it. Someone had on a site written that these were a UFC and Reebok product together and i thought so too but then if you look at them there's no reebok logo on them so just for clarification's sake because reebok is the official you know apparel provider supplier of ufc i wanted to just just be sure so i went and i asked a reebok spokesperson and let me see if they've even responded yet they have not so to this point i do not have a response from uh, reebok yet about that but i wanted to look into it to see what the facts are. It, it, it's terrible. You know, the, the interesting part about the argument about the flames and the skulls and the dragons, they were all correct, right? Everyone who said they were bad was right. They are bad. They're gauche. They're garish. They're um, hard to look at. They make your eyes bleed. They're, uh, there's too much going on. They're uh, representative of a, you know, a bizarre I- and and um, almost antisocial identity. Like, there's so much wrong with them, okay? Um, you could go on and on and on and on and on. But the problem is we have excluded the very providers 
that could help us with the problem. So, like, any company out there can appeal to an MMA audience if they want. Okay, so, like, if you, you know, RVCA is out there doing it, but, like, any any apparel brand, if they want to appeal to an MMA audience, can make something, right? But the bigger companies that have the ability to hire the, you know, the, the people with the core competencies in these fields, um, the people with the expertise in designing to specific sports and or, you know, cultural elements in terms of an audience, we've, we've basically pushed them all the way. And I don't know who designed this. If this is just a UFC product, I don't know who designed it. But this is, I mean, this is unforgivably bad. Unforgivably bad. Um, there's nothing there. And aside from being bad and bizarre and amateurish, they're not even, they're not even legible. You can't even tell half the time what's happening. Like if you look at the jujitsu one, they're literally not even touching each other. One is just kind of in the air. And the other one is like walking like an Egyptian as if he was listening to the bangles music from the eighties. I mean, what are we doing? Like if you're going to make arguments about how bad everything is and they're right, you still, that's only part of the process. The other part is supplanting all those bad things with not different bad things, but with good things. And that means bringing in the people who know how to do this. As I mentioned before, the UFC prides itself on being much more than just an organization that stages fights. Top rank stages fights. They don't do much else. UFC does a whole lot of other things. And to their credit, they do a whole lot of other things well. Designing clothing, like UFC branded clothing, I've seen some stuff that was like good, fine, like um, not not bad in any kind of way, but that's not what they do well. That's not you don't you don't look to UFC and go, man, dude, they can really design clothes for their core audience. They're really good at that. Uh, they're not really good at that. They're okay at that most of the time, but sometimes they're in this particular case. Again, this is not Reebok related. This is terrible. This is terrible. There's nothing about this that is salvageable in terms of nice things to say. You can say innumerable nice things about how good they are as fight promoters and to an extent about um, video content producers around that fighting. But as it relates to apparel, again, this is not, if it's Reebok related, it's just unforgivable. If it's UFC related, it's actually much more understandable. Because you could say, well, this is not at all what they do. This is not anything they've ever built a name for in any kind of capacity. They've never built a name for like being terrible at it, to their credit. Remember, there was a time when, when there was a little bit of, just, of of pushback because some fighters were wearing UFC gear. This is this was years ago, maybe 2012-ish or something like that. Um, and that gear was fine. There was not much wrong with it. But it wasn't like particularly special. But, you know, you've taken out Under Armour. You've taken out, I mean, go back and look at some of the Nike shirts that they produced. Remember the the Japanese characters they had for John Jones with the swoosh? Remember the Sagano shirt that had that special lettering across it? Those were badass. Those were very, very good. Those were quite excellent. And it should be that way because that's what they do. They make shoes and apparel for sports audiences that trend younger and, in many cases, trend male. Um, that's right in their wheelhouse. So the fact that these are terrible is uh, lamentable, but in some ways, highly unsurprising. All right. I mean, just look at these comments. Looks like two stick figures trying to wank each other while doing a gymnastic routine on acid. Yeah, there you go. 
They cost 25 bucks each, some less than that. Some cost 22. Yeah, this is and then the UFC hot dog brander. Can you imagine branding your hot dogs with the UFC logo on it? Uh cost fifteen dollars. Then someone has a, a picture of like Terrence and Philip from South Park farting on each other. And then it says Muay Thai UFC. Very, very clever. All right, who retires first? Rousey, Aldo, DC, or Faber? All right, so Ronda Rousey, Jose Aldo, Daniel Cormier, Uriah Faber. Given the age, I say Daniel Cormier. Then it's probably a toss-up between Faber and Rousey, Aldo being last, is what I say. But you never know. Rousey may go first. Aldo may go first. Uh, To me, Faber might hang on a little long. You know, we'll see. So I was asking about the NBA season. What do you think about your Wizards this season? Will they make it to the playoffs? Make it to the playoffs in the East is not is not really so difficult. So yes, they will. Um, we'll see what happens with Kelly Oubre Jr. And um, you know, I like I like how they look so far. You know, who kind of surprised me. Old Porzingis for the Knicks, not so bad so far. Uh you know what? Someone's asking about Rigondeau. I have not followed up on the story of Rigondeau at all. Um, but I know he was recently stripped of, I think, his w- yeah, WBO and WBA titles. Um, unfortunately, I have not read up on him at all, man. I've been so busy with everything else. It's just not a topic that I've paid a lot of attention to. Luke, what do you think about Chris Cyborg's comments about Ronda hating on Floyd? And that the only thing Rhonda is hating on in interviews, isn't that very hypocritical since Cyborg is doing the exact same thing when she talks to the media? Probably. Probably. Again, there's a little bit more uh, at stake between Rhonda and Floyd. When Floyd goes and Pacquiao's last fight is supposed to be in April, Rhonda's going to be the queen of combat sports and, the, and, and you know, the, the all-purpose king, too. She's going to be the person in combat sports. She'll be the most popular fighter on the planet, period. And that's never happened in MMA where the most popular fighter on the planet is a, a, a woman, but um, um, at least not in my time, or an MMA fighter even. And she's going to be that. So, like, there's a bit of uh, crown tension there that I think is a little bit unique to what's going on there. But to your point, I mean, look, guys, fighters do this. They are hypocrites when it comes to things, especially with their verbal statements. They're going to say whatever they want to say to make another person look bad, and they're going to say whatever they want to say to make themselves look good. This is, to me, fairly straightforward and non-controversial. Um, whether you like it, okay, you know, up to you, I suppose. But I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, to me, I pay much more attention about substantive issues, you know, how promoters are treating fighters, how fighters are treating their own lives, those kinds of things like this to me seems like you might be right. I mean, she might in fact be a hypocrite, but I don't, I mean, okay. I don't really care. Uh, next number one contender at lightweight, man. Good question. Now that number Madoff is out, will the UFC offer a shot to the winner of Pettis Alvarez, Diaz Johnson, or Ferguson Barboza, man, man, is number Madoff being out a gut punch and a half. And the guy even saying, I don't know if I'll ever return. Wow. Wow, this was this was a guy, man. We have been talking about him on this podcast for a very long time. I have him pegged. If he is healthy and training and active, I don't think there's a lightweight on the planet who can beat him. Never. Uh, except for maybe a lucky shot here or there. But like at his best, at his best, he seems to me unbeatable at 155. 
But man, with the time off, I wonder about his return fight. I wonder when he's going to return, about what he's going to look like. I'm really kind of concerned about him. I, I, it's amazing that there's a guy out there who you know, if he could just make it to the cage in a reasonable condition, he would just wreck shop. And I, I truly, truly believe that. I've mentioned it before. There is no guy in MMA today at this high of a level who has this advanced of an all-around grappling game as Nurmagomedov. Uh, he doesn't have quite the same you know, uh, jiu-jitsu skills in particular as Dos Anjos. But Dos Anjos doesn't have one-third of the takedowns that he has or the different kinds of rides from Turtle that he has. Um, Nurmagomedov is the guy, if you ask me. But Jesus, man. So I don't know. Like To your question, Pettis and Alvarez, the winner of that seems marketable. Uh, Diaz versus Johnson. Johnson's been on a tear. Um, Nate Diaz, you know, not so much. I don't see him winning. It's only getting a uh, being, you know, top contender. But then there's Ferguson versus Barboza. Maybe that one because those guys seem to be on the up and up a little bit especially uh, Ferguson, but it's really hard to tell. Like, this is going to be that moment where, where one of these guys or maybe, you know, one or two of these guys are going to have to separate themselves from the pack, and that's going to be highly contingent upon how they perform. That's going to be contingent upon what kind of matchups they get, not just in this fight, but the one after it, on what kind of cards and what kind of scenarios. So, man, there's a lot riding at, uh, at lightweight right now, and, and I won't say it's, like, you know, completely open for grabs, but with the absence of Nurmagomedov, you know, Cerrone's going to do his thing here pretty soon. But with the absence of Nurmagomedov, man, um, I just feel like that kind of – God, it just it, – it, so, he, he is such a wall for everyone behind him that it almost makes their matchups – I wouldn't say insignificant. They have value, of course. But, you know, there's a limited – there's a limited upside about what it all means. Now, all of a sudden, there's confusion about what it all means but only because the parameters have expanded drastically. Um, Nurmagomedov's absence is truly, truly, truly tragic. Truly tragic, man. It is, it is heartbreaking. Why does the UFC hate Aljamain Sterling? I don't think they hate Aljamain Sterling. First, he has to beg, plead, and strong-arm his way into getting a fight. Now that he has one, he's buried on the prelims. He's well-presented, does community service as a wrestling coach, and he has Sarah in his corner. That means Matt Sarah soundbites. I agree that Matt Sarah soundbites. Look, I mean, there's a lot going on here. Uh, if you listen to the interview he did with Ariel Helwani, he basically said that like they were trying to get him fights. Guys weren't taking him. Um, they managed to get him this one, and it sounds to me like it got the place that it did because they found it at the last second. You know, um, they, were able, they were able to just make it work in that time frame. And more to the point, you know, Aljamain Sterling, I think we can all agree, is a beast, and he's on the up and up, and he's media-friendly, and he's social media active, and all the things you would want from a guy, um, smart and everything else. He, uh, you know, He's still a little bit unknown, and he's fighting a guy that's very tough, but also completely unknown. Like He was trying to get that caraway fight so he could get some of that share of the limelight. Like ab- ab- Beyond the Dillashaw, Cruz, Barrow, and less so Barrow now, triumvirate that division doesn't have a lot of excitement it's got a lot of it's got a ton of excitement right at the top but then beyond that it doesn't it doesn't spread evenly um middleweight for example has a similar dynamic in the sense that you know the top eight nine or so maybe even ten if you want to go that far very interesting but then after that it drops off dramatically advancing weight you have that phenomenon oh it's even more exaggerated because it even goes you know pretty pretty high up to the top um it's only those guys at the very 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 elite of it where you're really kind of interested and then favors of course in there as well i suppose but in a very um 
you know, fighting Frankie signs. Like it's not, it's just a bizarre thing. So I don't know, man, look, this is just something you have to accept. Not everyone is going to be a star. I'm not saying Aljamain Sterling won't. I'm just saying as a general rule, you kind of have to accept that. And the other component to it is even if someone is going to be a star, it takes a very long time to build that brand. I mean, it takes years, you know, Ronda Rousey um, has exploded to levels unforeseen and frankly, never seen before. Um, but even that took several years, you know, she's been in this game for a little bit of a time now and her rise has been meteoric. Look how long Conor McGregor has been fighting and his rise has been meteoric. So for guys who aren't Conor McGregor and for ladies who aren't Ronda Rousey, you know, it's a long slog to the top. Uh, took Anderson Silva a very long time. GSP, even GSP didn't really turn the corner. I mean, he had a bunch of fights up front, but let me just sort of look at his record here because I'm trying to get a sense for timeline. I'm trying to remember when I really knew St. Pierre was like a big star. Uh, let's see here. When he was fighting Parisian and Mayhem Miller. Yeah, so um, he fought Parisian on his UFC debut. Was generally unimpressive in the sense of becoming a star. Fought Jay Huron. That was pretty good. Then lost to Matt Hughes in a title fight. Um, then fought Dave Strasser and Kate in the TKO. Went back, fought Jason Miller, was not particularly impressive. Or, you know, in terms of becoming a star. But things were building. They changed around the Frank Trigg fight, big time. Then he blasted out Sean Shirk. And then, I think, right as that first BJ Penn fight um, was really when things began to turn for him, I think. And then, of course, he he beat Matt Hughes and was a big star. So maybe around that Trigg fight, I think things began to turn. So that's that's still one, two, three, four, five, six fights in over the course of a year and a half. Damn, he was active. Jesus. He fought one, two, three times in 2004, and then one, two, three times in 2000. Fought four times in 2004. Think about that, man. St. Pierre fought four times in 2005. Wow. Anyway, it just takes a while. And even and that was in a market where it was much less crowded. I mean, there was more promotions. It was a bit of a fighter's market, but the sport was much smaller. It was easier to direct your eyeballs on certain things, and, and St. Pierre sort of stood out in that way. So it just takes a long time, man. It just takes a really, really long time. Uh, Luke, are you surprised that Jones is acting like a 13-year-old on social media? No, I am not. Uh, B, are you surprised that Jones and his team haven't hired someone to handle his social media? Maybe a little bit. Look at Rhonda and her Instagram. That is a perfect example of someone who acts mature and at the same time promotes her as a fighter and person. Uh, okay, hold on. Then, of course, someone accuses me of being partial to John Jones. Let me say something about John Jones' social media. I don't follow him on Twitter or Instagram or anything because I don't, you know, everything he, I don't, I, like, I have no interest in it whatsoever. I have no interest in him being like, I am, I'm going to be the new lion. He's like, you know, Vitor Belfort-esque in some of the stuff that he says. And then, you know, him lifting weights. It's cool, I guess, but like, it's not, it doesn't interest me at all. I don't follow him. Um, you know, that kind of thing I find quite boring to be, I don't follow many fighters at all. I especially don't follow him. Um, I, you know, quotes from the Bible mixed with threats to his opponents seems to me a deeply uninteresting combination, but okay. If you want to kind of follow it, that's fine. Here's the only question that I have. Why do you like, why does he need to be mature? Like Why? 
Cause so it'll, it'll appeal to you. I mean, I don't think he's trying to appeal to you. I'm not saying that being mature wouldn't have benefit. Um, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be a little bit easier to take if he was, but I am, this is what I made in that video. And I got like 400 dislikes, although I got 900 likes. I'm not asking John Jones to be anything. He's not. I'm done, done, done over. He's going to be who he is, and that's what it's going to be. Take it for what it is. Don't ask it to be anything else. You don't have to like what it is, but I'm not going to ask him to be something he's not. If he wants to be, you know, annoying on Twitter by my tastes, if he wants to do crazy things on social media and then delete it, fine, fine. He's, that's just who he is. Let him be who he is for all of its good things and for all of its bad things. The only thing I care about is if he is not a threat to himself and a threat to others, you know, just sort of being able to live in civil society. You know, it would be nice if he can find his way to maintain his career because he arguably, if not already, is going to be the greatest fighter ever. So it would be nice if that wasn't ruined. But he's going to be who he's going to be. He does not respond, I don't think, very much to public pressure. We'll see how much he's you know really reformed in the end. But I do not understand this. John Jones is phony. And we know this because we put phony, we put pressure on him to be phony. Well, you get what you ask for. If he's not mature, then he's not mature. And he's not gonna flip a switch and just become mature overnight. He's not. And I don't I don't care that he is. And that's why I don't follow him on social media, because it doesn't interest me at all. I don't know what the point would be unless you were like a super dedicated fan or something. He's going to be who he's going to be. Stop putting pressure on him to be something he's not. I cannot believe we are this far into his career and we're still trying to police his attitude. I'm not asking you to like it. I'm just asking you to accept him for who he is, warts and all. This dance about John, I wonder if you've really changed. You're getting out there on social media. You're putting out these arrogant videos. By the way, there's no racial coding in that, but you're putting out these arrogant videos. We need you to change. No, John, I want you to do exactly what it is that you think is best in terms of guiding your life. But I'm either going to respond to it or I'm not, but I'm not going to be the guy out there shaking my finger at you, demanding that you be something different. He is who he is, man. He is who he is. And if some people are better at maintaining a phony um, public persona, I don't mean phony in a bad way, but just, you know, a one that's palatable to a large audience. Because in the case of someone like Ronda Rousey, she's got a thousand endorsements. She has a certain image she needs to keep up. Yeah, fine, cool. I got no, I got no judgment about that. But some people can't. John Jones is clearly one of those guys who heretofore has proven he cannot do that. So I'm done. I'm done, I'm done asking him to be something else he's not. And I highly encourage you to do the same. And if that means following him on social media because you like this version, great. If that means unfollowing him, that's great too. Whatever works for you to work around it, just do not be that guy who's like, why can't you be something else? Because he's not something else. He's John Jones. All right, hang on.
Edmund Tarverdian. Uh, why is he broke? Do you believe that Rhonda's coach has been working with her all this time out of the goodness of his heart? What is your take on his bankruptcy difficulties? Do you think she should pay his debts? Okay, I think it's way too early in the equation, and we have way too much limited information to make any kind of claims. Um, Look, here's what I'll say. It's still early. And we have, like I mentioned before, we have, a, we have a narrow subset of information. That being said, I find his claims, in my opinion, I don't know this to be true. I find his claims to be completely implausible. I do not believe, though I don't know it to be true, in my opinion, it seems like it's impossible that he would work for free and have zero income. I don't know how that could possibly be true. I know. I don't think he worked with her out of the goodness of his heart. Um, but I don't know. He's claiming that apparently he did. And I don't know how that's possible. But, you know, we need to wait for further information. What I think is the more notable takeaway here is I don't see that relationship lasting. Between what his, and again, just my opinion, I don't, I don't have any insider information, although you saw Uriah Faber kind of hint that she was looking around. Um, but it just seems like from the outside looking in, Rhonda, you know, and her mother, I think, from the, seem to butt heads at time, but they're also birds of a feather. And between that and this bankruptcy revelation, you know, I... I think that she has prospered under his tutelage, whether because of him or she would have prospered anyway. You can have that argument separately, but she certainly hasn't done poorly. I think we can say that much. Um, she hasn't come out worse after the fact. She hasn't gotten routinely injured. Um, she hasn't taken a lot of punishment from what I can tell. Um, she has benefited pretty greatly one way or the other. Um, but that seems to me for the sun on that to be setting when there's financial issues at play as well as um, difficulty with family members who still play a large looming role in someone's life, you see this in boxing a lot, things tend to change one way or the other. Um, and sometimes in boxing, it's cyclical. People will leave a trainer and then go back to them. That could be the case. You never know. Um, but I, I got a feeling that this one is – it's not for the long haul, but when you think about like, why, ha you know, if there's problems, why hasn't she cut it off? Maybe they, maybe, maybe she likes Edmund, but realizes that there are, you know, inherent problems that can't be solved right away. Maybe she likes Edmund and realizes that, um, you know, it's better to just finish this camp and then move on after the fact. So I think there's a lot of that. Like they kind of got the process rolling for this Holly Holm camp. They don't want to get out of that process. And I understand that there's, there's a lot to be said about win or lose, did you follow an adequate process? Um, look at this, for example, if you guys, I don't, I'm not a baseball fan, but there was the, the nationals here in DC tried to hire one guy. They lowballed him. He balked. So they wound up hiring a, a number two in the process. And it's not like the guy he hired, they hired ended up sucking, but they looked like the Redskins trying to hire this guy because they lowballed somebody to a comical degree. And then things got leaked to the media and it was just, it was just a mess. So it's not that the hiring of the guy was bad in terms of who they eventually got, but it was how they got there that was bad. I, that, to me, the process of things really kind of matters. So, like, 
if she said we're, the ball's already in motion, let's get through this camp. I like you, you like me. Ultimately, this is not going to work, but we can make it work for this next camp. That to me would seem plausible. Or maybe she'll stick by him. I don't know. But like, if they're going to liquidate the Glendale Fight Club and there's all these existing issues with her, it just doesn't seem long for this world. There doesn't seem to be this climate of conditions that foster long-term development. Someone mentioned how he transferred all his assets before declaring. Yeah, that also is a little bit not sure what that means. Diet Mountain Dew, baby. This is the one diet. So, by the way, did you guys see there was this big review of like the top 30 diet sodas? Trash is what they is what that list is. Sucked. They had Diet Coke super high on the list. Diet Coke is horrendous. All right, Luke, your thoughts on Team Rousey? This is more of the same. The other thing to note here, though, is, look, I'm still picking Rousey to win. You know, death taxes and Ronda by armbar, but been a lot of distractions this camp, huh? Now, if anybody can block those out, it's her. You know, she's phenomenal in that way. But, uh, yeah, man, it's it's unusual. It's unusual. Isn't it starting to feel like Tyson all over again? It is in no way feeling like Tyson. This does not feel like Tyson. Young, dominant athlete surrounded by a lot of shady people. If you want to take a situation and focus out so much that, you know, from up here everything looks like ants, then okay, yeah, that's fine. But that's not a very meaningful observation point. In close, I do not get the sense that she's being stolen from or that she has these wanton purchases, or that she is trying to um, allow others to subsist off of her wealth, or that she has psychological demons to a destructive degree. There's a lot different. There's a lot. Mike Tyson grew up in a broken, uh, I mean, a broken home wouldn't even begin to describe it, you know, broken scenario, uh, and was essentially rescued but even then was never really properly treated for all the trauma he incurred, um, which played out over the course of his life. And he made a lot of bad decisions, uh, less so now it appears, but you know, Uh, this weekend's UFC card, which three fights from the event in Brazil are you most interested in? I think I kind of already answered this, but I'll just go over one more time. Main event, obviously. Um, co-main event, for just in case Patrick Cummins wins. If not, I'm kind of curious to see how Almeida looks against Burchak. Almeida's still a little bit hittable for my taste. He's able to overcome that, but he really needs to get much more defensively um, sound to really move ahead. And then uh, Gilbert Burns versus Rashid Magomedov. Actually, of all the ones on that card that I like care the most about, uh, Burns versus Mega Madoff is the one. I kind of want to see how Burns is looking. I wonder if he's hit his ceiling or if he's got another gear he can hit. Because I've seen him do really, really well. Look, he can beat a lot of guys with just his jiu-jitsu and his athleticism. He has great wrestling. But is he really going to turn that corner? Um, you know, Mega Madoff is no joke. So if you can beat that guy, uh, you know, says a lot. If you were in charge of Misha's MMA career, what would you be advising her to do, and what would you expect from the UFC in the near future? I would never want to advise Misha. I don't know enough about her situations and her particulars to really get a sense of things. Here's one piece of advice that I've been saying for a very long time, 
And I'm told that what's happening is you see like Daniel Cormier just signed this eight fight deal. And I'm told that, um, you know, generally speaking, if not in this particular case, but as a wider application of things, I mentioned before, you know, uh, Pedro Hizzo was the first to get that six or seven fight deal, which was a sign of like, you know, luxury and, and, and status. I, I do not recommend fighters do that. I recommend that they sign, you know, five fight deal at a, at a max amount six. If you really have to push it anything more than that. And you're just making a mistake. Cause now, um, especially if they're non-guaranteed, you know, I mean, I mean, you just gotta be kidding me. So, and then, you know, money that comes along with it. Um, she was saying in her last fight on Twitter, she didn't even make for the win over, um, Jessica. I, she didn't even make over 150 grand, you know, uh, I think after expenses, you know, you think about somebody who's as good as she is and is marketable. Um, that seems awfully low, but you know, be that as it may, that is my recommendation to fighters because the only way you are going to get a better contract in the current space is if you test free agency. That's it, man. That's it. There's no other way. Uh, unless you have like, you know, Conor McGregor pull or Ronda Rousey pull. Ronda Rousey can has tremendous pull at this point, right? I mean, she can put UFC over a barrel if she wanted, but that's like one person. Um, unless you can really affect their pocketbooks, that is the only way. If you can't directly, you know, like when Brock Lesnar left the sport, the sport went, whoosh, right? If you can't do that, then you need to you need to use free agency to your benefit. There's just no there's just no other mechanism. They can't you you have no leverage. Why is UFC so reluctant to give Misha Tate a title shot? Although the trilogy will be fairly uninteresting from a competitive standpoint. Mm, Rossi's fame and popularity have increased immensely since UFC 168. With a whole new audience for Ronda that wasn't there for the first two fights, Rossi Tate 3 could do really well. All the grudge match and bitter rival stuff seems to be there for the taking for an audience that missed the previous times. Why is the UFC not going for it? Again, I would want to see what internal metrics they have, but this was a fight that I also agree. At first, when they had brought it up, I was like, really? Rossi Tate, we're going to do this again? But um, I absolutely think, look, Here's the truth of Rousey at this point. What fight could you make that wouldn't sell? They took a fight that was the least competitive of her pro career, arguably, with Betch Cohea. They put it in another part of the world, and they still sold close to a million buys. I mean, there's almost nothing they can't sell. Um, I wonder if they're actually, in their mind, trying to do Misha Tate a favor in the sense of if we give her the shot now and she loses there's really nowhere for her to go, um, which may be true. And, you know, but then the other argument is, well, if you keep her around and then she loses, then you lose that third shot. There's that as well. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what their plan is for her. I don't think the, it's, it's not that the idea of Rousey Tate three can't sell. They could easily, easily, easily sell that fight. No, no problem. And they did it in the United States. In Vegas, they could make uh, – how could that not sell a million buys if Rousey Cohea th can sell a million buys or close to it? You know, they're putting Ronda Rousey in Australia against Holly Holm, you know, a another part of the world, different hemisphere, you know, below the equator, the whole nine. And that that will – I am – this test fight is going to do gangbusters gangbusters so maybe what they're trying to do is set up some longevity so that they have something to keep rousey coming back for 
Um, I don't know why you couldn't do that with Holm and Tate in reverse order. But again, it's not that they can't sell with Rousey. There's got to be something else uh, with Tate here that they're trying to do in terms of timing or the division itself or using her to create contenders. There's another plan in play because I think we can all agree if you can sell those kinds of things, man, I think this fight is going to do big, big money. This one with Holm. Dude, she was the first woman female athlete to ever, uh, as a guest host sports center. I mean, she's, you know, her star power just blew up since that last fight. She's everywhere. She's on the cover of boxing magazines for crying out loud. You know, even from Australia, she's going to do a ton of media and people are going to be all in on her. They like, they don't like MMA, but they like watching Rhonda. I think we need to kind of accept that. People are like, why can't we get Rhonda's popularity to transfer over to Ioani and Jacek? Um, because people like watching Rhonda. I'm not so sure that her audience also likes watching MMA generally, but we could be wrong. We'll see. Um, I just think in the end, it's really not it's not an issue of whether we can sell it. It's an issue of what to do with Tate and what they can do with Tate to help work the division. That seems to be a much more central issue here. All right, UFC versus the rest. Who you got? Cummins versus McGeary. Cummins, man. McGeary's just not ready for that wrestling. Although, you know, McGeary could spark him on the feet. He's nasty. But generally speaking, Cummins. Nate Diaz versus Gaethje. Nate Diaz. Gunnar Nelson versus Paul Harris. Ooh, boy, that's tough. On his best day, Paul Harris could win. That's a tough one. Uh, Stun Gun Kim versus Askren. Askren. Uh, that's going to upset some people, but I think it's true. Uh, Tony Ferguson versus Will Brooks. Man, that's a good fight. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. Tony Ferguson versus, I'll say Will Brooks, but man, that's a tough fight, man. Wow, it's a great, great fight. Roy Nelson versus Minikov. I'll take, if Minikov wrestles, he can win. If he doesn't, he can't. Uh, Calderwood versus Grasso. So Calderwood for now, but Grasso's on the up and up. Glover versus King Mo. Maybe Glover. Uh, Kaufman versus Evinger. Eh, I say Kaufman, but Evinger can wrestle. Nick Lentz versus Goichi Yamauchi. Nick Lentz and Darren Till versus Michael Page. If they just stand, I like Page's chances, but if Till mixes it up. The problem with Page is that like, if you just give him somebody to let him work his thing, he's amazing. But he hasn't found a way yet to make his style work at MMA in the sense that if people just try to take away his weapons, he has no second gear that I've seen. Like he doesn't have a devastating clinch. He's got a good clinch. He doesn't have a devastating clinch and he can't get on top. Like think about this. If you're fighting Michael page, what's your number one priority? It's taking away space, crowding him because where he excels at in the striking is that big space. Like he can leap in and out of range and he's at long length and, and everything else. But so think of it on the flip side. Imagine he were a world champion grappler. Would you really want to get in tight on him? And he had like good takedowns, let's say. Imagine if he had that, because you'd be you just have to pick your poison, either stand at range with him and get picked apart, or get in close with him and get taken down and watch him pass your guard and tear you to pieces. But the, it's it's that other point. Like everyone's crowding him. So he needs to find offense from that crowded position, either for the clinch or on top, or whatever the case may be. And I haven't seen that second gear yet. That's kind of to me the problem. 
All right. Well, lots of questions about Rousey Tate. This kind of surprises me. I wasn't expecting this. <clears throat> Luke, I know you don't care about a fighter's personal life in general, but I still think this is a question I would like to see Ronda asked. Why is it that Ronda thinks she should be afforded a courtesy she has not shown her peers? Ronda built her career through her rivalry with Misha and spent plenty of time running her mouth constantly about Tate's personal life, blah, blah, blah. So why is it now that she now that she is in Misha's shoes and everyone has an opinion about her relationship, asks why she's with Travis or thinks she's a bad person, she thinks she has a right to privacy and can hang up if she doesn't like the question. Yeah, good question. So um, to me, it's not so much an issue about, again, I don't care if she's with Travis Brown or Brendan Schaub or really anybody. It's none of my business and it doesn't. It doesn't particularly interest me as a as a topic of conversation. That said, the question asked of her is not out of bounds. The question was, um, you have said that you wanted to keep things private, but you put out a public statement about it. That's fair game. Sorry, fair game. That's a totally fair question to ask. Um, there's a thousand other questions you could ask her, of course, but that one is not out of bounds. And I think the, the more general overriding insight here is that um i mean welcome to the big show you know i'm not saying that people's interest in your private life um absent this question but like just generally speaking all the interest in her private life because i remember when that news came out i had people asking me to become on their radio shows to talk about it like, and I declined the interview because I just don't care. But, like, for real? Like, y'all care about Like, people do people care about But that's what you get when you become a celebrity. You get scrutinization over dumb parts of your life that you can't imagine or will even want to acknowledge that other people should care about. But they do. This is just what comes with the territory. You don't get to just cut a bunch of commercials and be in movies and be on the cover of magazines and then say, ah, but you don't get to, you don't get to care about my personal life. That's it, part of the territory, man. And maybe it's a weird part of the territory. Maybe it's even like a sickening part of the territory to some degree, depending on how far it goes, but it's, it's a package deal. There's no free lunch. You don't get to be a celebrity and all of a sudden everyone just stops caring about your personal life. If you're a female actor and Holly actress in Hollywood, they not only care about your personal life, they care about your personal appearance in ways you can't possibly imagine in grotesque and totally unfair ways. And for men too, you know, to a lesser extent, I suppose, but um, there is just deep scrutinization of the minutia of your life. And that is a package deal. It's a package deal. And the fact that there are some other sort of complicating factors here that Brown had alleged to be involved in the domestic violence situation was ultimately cleared based on inconclusive evidence, you know, only kind of muddies the waters. The fact he's also a fighter sort of makes everyone sort of like, go, oh, okay. Um, again, if we never talked about it on this chat, I wouldn't care. But, but to me, you know, you want to be a big time um, famous person and make a bunch of cash by all means, go get paid. But these arrangements you don't like them. I don't like them. They, they, they come as a package deal. They don't come with everything you like and things you don't. Even if you think that measure of scrutinization is weird. And again, to the particular question involved here on the conference call where she hung up, it's a totally fair question. Why did you make a public statement about something you tend to keep private? Seems like a reasonable question to me. 
she hung up because she didn't like it. Oh, well. Oh, well, man. You know? Um, you know, she has a right, I guess, to handle this how she wants to handle it, you know? It's not illegal to hang up on a conference call, I suppose, but um, it only draws further scrutiny. Like it's, like, it's not going away. People who are intensely private about their, their lives in Hollywood, um, which is, you know, the level of celebrity she enjoys, frankly, they take very, very careful measures to keep th keep the world that they want private shielded. And some lash out, but the most successful ones don't. There's like people like Matt Damon have had a very successfully, you know, kept a portion of their private life very private. Um, you just have to have it. It's another skill you have to have. And hanging up on reporters on a conference call, asking you about a public statement you made, probably not the best way to handle that. And then he asks here again, if Rousey single-handedly made Tate's relationship a part of the news cycle, why should the media treat her relationship any different? Not only should they not, they're not gonna. This is not going away. Her celebrity is only increasing. Whatever she thinks of people's interest in her love life now, it's only going to go like that. The key is how you handle it. And, you know, you can decline to speak about it, and then it just, you know, modestly or goes away. But, like, this, this ain't going nowhere. Reebok deal. Luke, last week you answered my Reebok question with a rant that I loved. Uh, thank you. But you didn't address my main question. Are tensions high between UFC and Reebok execs, or is all this backlash expected and planned for? I can tell you that based on what I've heard, the backlash caught Reebok with their pants down. It was not so, not expected at all. Um, and there is certainly some, I don't know if hard feelings is the word, but um, confusion as to how this all happened. That said... I don't get any indication that there's not mutual commitment to the deal. I can tell you that. Oh, did I get a response from Reebok? No, I did not. Dang. I wanted to see if I could give it to you here. Uh, Nurmagomedov Gamedov again. For a guy so mentally tough, what do you make of him doubting his return after a minor injury compared to his past injuries? When did it a rib breaking become a minor injury? On what planet is that minor? I mean, that's not like tearing your ACL. That is a horrible injury. What? what like, are, are y'all... What? Are y'all really going to do this bit where you just ape everything Conor McGregor says? Conor McGregor said that Jose Aldo's broken-ass rib was nothing more than a hickey. No, it's a broken mother-effing rib. And there were x-rays to show that. And, and, and brah, let me tell you, if you ever even had a cracked rib or separated ribs, my coach had separated ribs. He sparred for the first time last night and was out for two months. He didn't even break anything, just tore the tissue between them. Couldn't, couldn't run, had to sleep in certain positions was walking around clutching his gut like he had, you know, been stabbed all the time. And that's not even nearly as bad as a broken rib. Broken rib, the floating rib that's out there, can press on your organs. Um, if it's not treated right, it can perforate. I mean, the, I, like, what planet are you talking about where a broken rib is a minor injury? Minor injury relative to what? Decapitation? 
a broken rib is not a career-ending injury. And it's not the kind of injury that can necessarily alter performance over the long haul. But in the space in which you are suffering from it, it is devastating. It is extraordinarily painful, and, and it is accompanied by complete and total sedentary lifestyle. Breaking your ribs is extraordinarily painful. I've never met anyone with cracked or separated ribs who was like, eh, no big deal. The toughest guy is like, whoa, it hurts. You should just give up on this idea. Stop aping what people tell you. Or I shouldn't say people. One person tells you because he has an axe to grind against an opponent. Of course he's going to say that. Let him say that. You worry about the facts. And the facts are a broken rib is a serious, awful, painful injury that should be respected by everyone. Because if people like Jose Aldo and Habib Nurmagomedov can't deal with it, let me assure you, you can't either. Um, so when asking again about the promotional practice t-shirt, I appreciate everyone sending in different mock-ups, all very, very cool. Like I said before at the top of the show, if you guys missed it or for whatever reason you had fast-forwarded, um, we're working on them. Got a real deal, no BS designer. Don't have a timeline for when they're going to be out. We're gonna. The guy even asked me, like, when do you want these out? And I said, there is no timeline. We're just going to make them, and if they're good, we're going to release them, and if they're not, we're not going to. So, I mean, sooner rather than later, hopefully, but, like, we're going to take our time with this one. We're going to make them good. All right, Gastelum versus Magny. What do you think of Neil Magny as the replacement for the injured Matt Brown against Gastelum at the Tough Brazil finale? I think it's the Tough – is it Tough Brazil? No, it's Tough Mexico finale, right? Because it's the uh, – it's in Monterey, is it not? Mexico. Pardon me here. Yeah, it's the tough. It's the it's the ultimate fighter, Latin America. It's not Brazil. Tough. It's not tough Brazil. Um, where do you think the most critical points of the fight are likely to be played out? I've been impressed with the development of um, of the striking of Gaslam. I think it's the wrestling of Gaslam that I'm looking forward to the most. Neil Magny's guard is good, but it's not great, and it's only really good if he can lock up full guard. If you can start from half, he doesn't have a lot of offensive weapons. Um, and he, it's a big problem with guys who are long and lanky. If you can extend them out, right? If you can, if they, if they push on your hips to move out, they create just a ton of space to get the kind of leverage they want, which creates a lot of openings for the pass. So to me, that is kind of where I'm interested in seeing is if uh, not so much against the fence, but away from the fence, if Gaslam can get the wrestling and get on top, because he's had a bit of a size advantage, you know, um, uh, all things being equal, even if they fought in the same. Uh, well, I guess just just the just the reach differential to me is a little bit more on Magni side, but um, but yeah, that 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 insight on the on, in space there that to me is really where that fight's gonna be won and lost. Um, and yeah, dude, did you guys see that uh, stat from Mike Bond from MMA Junkie? Shouts to him. Um, Neil Magny has, with this fight, fought five times each in the last two years. Iron Man, bro. Iron Man. How do you not respect that? Ten UFC fights in two years? He's out there putting in work. That's partly why he's been able to get so good. 
And I bet he doesn't train. I mean, I'm, I'm, first of all, when I say I bet he doesn't train too much differently, I'm sure he trains very hard, which is also something I've been wondering about injury. I think some guys, and there was, there's evidence to support some of this as well, some guys just don't get injured like other guys. Um, and I, I had tweeted an article from The Atlantic talking about how some people have a different measure of, of, um, of the binding equipment, essentially, in their ligaments and tensions. Uh, or tendons, I'm sorry, and in their muscles, that so they, they tear a lot less, uh, a lot less, um, or oh, that they protect the muscles within the musculo musco um, skeletal system generally to prevent things. There's just a lot more going on there, and I really believe that like he must have one of those benefits because that is just a trum. I mean, unless he's just fighting hobbled and injured, and he doesn't appear to be, appears to be rather sprightly the whole time. That is incredible. That is incredible. Incredible. Was asking if UFC 193 will be a success. I don't know what it's going to look like at the gate. I don't have my finger on the pulse for what's going on in Australia, but on pay per view, it's going to do gangbusters. It's going to do gangbusters on pay per view. I'd be shocked if it didn't. All right, one second. All right. Rousey allegedly hanging it up. Uh, Last week during the UFC 193 media call, oh, no, excuse me, Rousey allegedly hanging up. Uh, after MMA Fighting's Mark Ramondi asked Rousey about what she thought about Brown going public with her relationship, she's, she hung up. UFC claimed it was a technical issue, but I've seen a lot of speculation that based on the timing and seen that Rousey hung up, right? Let's assume she hung up. My confusion on the matter is more with several defenses. I've seen that Ramondi's question was not really personal and relevant to the discussion. Yeah, it was. Sorry. So I thought to ask your thoughts on the one legend event and why Rousey and her about her boyfriend's comments wasn't really personal. He didn't ask about her boyfriend. He asked about the nature of her public statement on it. Fair game. All right, true or false? Inna White never does a media scrum again. False. Conor McGregor retires before 2020. True. I'll say by 2020. John Jones comes back and beats Daniel Cormier. They moves to heavyweight. True. The UFC adds a women's 145 division before the end of 2017. Good question. False. This is a serious question, and I want to answer it because I can't believe it's true. Hey, Luke, if Conor McGregor retired tomorrow and never set foot in the octagon again, would he be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame? Okay, understanding that there are guys like Stefan Bonner in the Hall of Fame. But if you're asking on meritorious grounds in terms of what he achieved, why on earth would he be included in the Hall of Fame? Of course he would not make it in the UFC Hall of Fame. Now, if he keeps going and beats Jose Aldo, the greatest featherweight of all time to date, and can maybe go up to what lightweight and win the title there, that would easily qualify him. He doesn't have to even go that far to do that. But based on his record right now, we're talking about a record of achievement? No. Now, if we're talking about other things, about opening up Irish MMA and European MMA by, by, by extension, you know, it's, that, that conversation changes a little bit. I admit that. But if we're just talking about what he's done in the cage, no. He just fought a wrestler for the first time. <laughs> I mean, come on. Have you heard any rumors of who might be on the UFC 200 card? I have not. 
Gunny Nelson recently suggested that fighters shouldn't be able to step into the octagon weighing more than the weight limit of the weight class above the one you compete in. Does this sound like a viable solution to the weight cutting problem? No, it does not because there is no method of enforcement to do so. Meaning you can have somebody cut a tremendous amount of weight and then not fully rehydrate to make the secondary limit. That to me sounds like a disaster. UFC and Fox. Luke, just a couple of quick questions about UFC and Fox. Okay. Has the UFC grown as big as it can during the Fox platform? Um, well, it depends what you mean. If they took things off of pay-per-view and put it on Fox, I think it could grow a little bit more. But generally speaking, this is basically what you're going to get with that relationship. Did Fox or the UFC benefit more from this partnership? Generally speaking, I believe Fox benefited more. But there's been benefits to both parties, of course. If the UFC, excuse me, if they decide to remain partners, what sort of changes could we see or would you like to see them negotiate under a new contract? I would like to see fighters get part of the television money. I don't know why they don't get a penny, but they don't. I would like to see, um, I mean, you guys know what I want, you know. I'm getting more of what I want. I'm actually complaining a little bit less these days about that, if you haven't noticed. The four Fox shows I'm cool with. Um, the shows on on Fox Sports 1, they, they, um, there's fewer shows this year. They cut out a few. Cut, cut up, I think cut four this year, you know. So they're doing fewer shows. They're getting a little bit better. Um, I'm not. I have, I have a little bit less to complain about. I got like a, 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 you know, maybe a tiny bit fewer shows. Maybe the occasional show on Sunday. But other than that, you know, I don't see a whole lot necessarily changing. What other networks could you see making a play for the UFC after the current contract? The only one to me that makes sense would be ESPN. And the reason why I say that is because if you think about it, who else has the capacity? to match what Fox Sports 1 can do, or Fox Sports, excuse me. In other words, um, now ESPN is cable, so that changes the equation a little bit, but the general, the, the, the practice is as follows. You have ESPN, you have ESPN2, you have ESPN News, you have ESPNU, you've got all different kinds of ESPN channels, plus you have ESPN3.com, right? So you've got all these different platforms. That, to me, really works for the UFC, because if you look at what they do for Fox, they get four times a year on Big Fox. They have, you know, however many shows on Fox Sports 1. The occasional card or prelim card on Fox Sports 2. Their own stuff on their proprietary platform for um, for Fight Pass. But more than that, if you watch, if you just leave on Fox Sports 1, they'll be shoulder programming for UFC stuff all the time, especially on Fox Sports 2. They can give these places content. Now, truth being told, you know, ESPN's cutting back a lot. I don't know if they really are invested in having fight sports as part of their portfolio when they can get licensing rights to say the big 10 or the pac 12 or, or whatever is most important to them. So that changes the equation, but in the sense that ESPN has the architecture to accommodate them and benefit from them by having some programming live and shoulder programming, ESPN has a lot of the same arrangements that Fox sports does, but really Fox sports makes more sense to me because they really need UFC's content because they're hungry for signing, you know, licensing rights. ESPN is laying off, you know, 300-plus people. They're letting Keith Olbermann go. They fired Bill Simmons, and then the Simmons firing was more complicated. They let Jason Whitlock go. They're letting a lot of these big contract guys go. They're cutting costs, um, and they're doing that because people are cutting the cord, and, you know, Disney's putting pressure on them, and they have these, you know, really expensive licensing rights. 
Fox Sports 1 is saying, what can we do to get um, consistently higher ratings? If you look at Colin Coward's ratings, you know, he left ESPN for Fox Sports 1. He's not even clearing 100,000 you know, uh, um, people to watch his show on a per-show basis, or the average rating anyway. You know, he's like, I think his highest was the Donald Trump interview was like 90,000. You know, if you look at a UFC show, just all the MMA fans and UFC fans collect around it. So it's really, it's a really valuable property for Fox Sports in a way where ESPN, I'm not saying they wouldn't benefit from it, but, you know, they really like that college football audience. They really, and I know they have other dumb stuff like, um, you know, bowling or whatever the case may be, but they don't really make bowling a priority. Fox makes UFC a priority. It, you know, they make them a star brand on that show. They, you know, um, so I'm not saying it wouldn't work with ESPN. I do, I do think it, it would. Or, you know, half the portfolio goes to ESPN and half stays at Fox Sports 1, kind of like how NASCAR breaks it up over the course of various channels. That, that to me, would work as well. But um, but I, I think they're going to stick with Fox Sports. I really do. I, I think it's a good fit for them. It works well for both parties. You know, some adjustments have to be made in terms of prioritization. But, um, you know, Road to the Octagon Airs on Big Fox, like they get a lot of shine, man. They get a lot of shine because Big Fox and the Fox you know, platform, they're trying to grow Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2, and, and UFC has been key to that. Really, they have. They've been, they've been really, really key. You know, baseball playoffs and NASCAR have obviously done the biggest ratings, I think. Um, you know, um, certainly MLB playoffs have done, you know, tremendous 4 or 5 million plus on Fox Sports 1. I think NASCAR has even hit over 6, but um, you get the idea. Someone's asking about the Angela Magana, not to have it to the twister. I don't really have any comment about it. Uh, let's see. Would you rather shave your beard, wear Chris Weidman's signature Reebok shoes for a month straight? I would rather, I would rather drink carbonic acid. Uh, let's see. True false here. Luke Rockhold gives Chris Weidman the toughest fight of his career. I think so. True. Phil Davis becomes the Bellator light heavyweight champ next year. I think that's also true. Demetrius Johnson moves up to the bantam moves up to bantamweight soon. I think he'll take a bant a bantamweight fight. Mike Tyson comes back for one last fight. False. Robbie Lawler is a terrible matchup for Benson Henderson. Yeah, yeah, he is. Someone making a declarative statement. All right. True or false? Luke Rockhold upsets Chris Weidman at UFC 194. I don't know. I haven't made him a mind yet. Uh, I'll say false for now, but I don't know. Joe Rogan calls Rousey striking flawless or perfect during the main event of UFC 193. I'll say false. UFC 193 does over 1.2 million pay-per-view buys. I'll say false for that, but it might. Mark Hunt KOs Bigfoot in the rematch. True. Either Jacare or Romero gets injured before the fight comes to fruition. I'll say false just as a matter of good luck. BJ Penn competes in a Metamorphs or EBI grappling match in 2016. False. Ronda Rousey leaves the Glendale Fighting Club uh, in 2016. I will say true. Ronda Rossi, excuse me, Gunnar Nelson submits Demi and Maya. False. Unless he gets injured, I mean, or, you know, hurt with a punch or something. But, like, straight up, just, like, taking him down and passing his guard now. Albert Tumanov becomes a title challenger in 2016. He might. 
might. All right, it's 2.15, so let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. <laughs> That's funny. All right, let's see here. If UFC was to go to ESPN, would $10 billion for five years be a reasonable package, seeing how the UFC brand has grown recently? Are you out of your mind? $10 billion over five years? They won't get $1 billion over five years. How can Misha Tate... I mean, that can't be a serious question. $10 billion? What? Or they might they might get one billion over five, and even that is pushing it. Uh, how could Misha Tate not get a second UFC title shot when Faber was given three shots since coming to the UFC? She might get another one. Let's see, Will Brooks says he was jumped and sucker punched by the Pitbull brothers. I would love to hear that. Will you sit up and take notice of their performance? Whose performance? At UFC Fight Night 76 in Dublin, and who delivered for you? I, I did it. I did an entire podcast about what I thought of about Luis Smolka and um, Patty Houlihan, Tom Breeze, the destruction of Cajal Pendred, and then Neil Series' awesome guillotine of um, John Dillos Reyes. I'd say I pretty much have covered that base. Check out the Monday Morning Analyst, y'all. I'm trying to turn it into something. If, uh, you know, it's coming along slowly. I added some graphics to the last one. So, so take a look. Will Brooks just tweeted he was jumped by the Pitbull brothers. He posted a pic of his bloody shirt. Oh, I can't wait to hear about this. They hate each other, man. They hate each other. Luke, good question. Luke, what do you think of Mackenzie Dern's transition to MMA and going into the strawweight division? Obviously, a lot of factors about that, um, you know, striking and everything else. I think her takedowns are actually pretty good. She does pull guard a lot, but she has some takedowns too. I want to see how many of them are no gi, though. I've seen a lot of her takedowns be like with the gi, so we'll see how that goes. But she's young, and on the map, she is un she she can she is unbelievable. Unbelievable. She can top pass. She can invert. She can, she has a good leg lock game. She has 50, 50 guard. She has, you know, she's good with the gi. She's good without the gi. She can do everything in jujitsu, everything. So, um, you know, so the fact that she's young and athletic and has, you know, some kind of a takedown base gives me some hope. We'll see about the rest though. You know, can't you take a punch? You know, I don't know. You know, I heard from someone that is in the know that, and this broke my heart to hear it. They're like they were a little bit unsure about Bushesha going into MMA. They were saying that you know he didn't really all respond all that well to striking. Now again, a lot of guys don't early and they come around, but that this was this person has been around for a long time and was kind of like, I don't know, man, I don't know. So we'll see how that goes, you know. Uh, Bellator forty Bellator one forty five looks like a great card. Why don't MMA fans, including hardcore fans, seem to care? Bellator still has a pretty sizable care gap. It really does. They've got a lot of work to do. Obviously, if you book somebody that people already care about, like Kimbo Slice, and, you know, 
Bellator deserves credit for promoting that fight correctly and fully, and and they they should enjoy the rewards for that. But they really haven't been able to take a homegrown Bellator guy and turn him into a big star yet. That's really kind of been lacking. And um, you know, Scott Coker knows better than just about anybody how to make that happen. Again, it takes time, uh, and they wasted a lot of time doing things the wrong way under the Bellator regime headed by Rebney. But um, They've, they've clearly got their work cut out for them in that respect. They've got a long way to go. And and I think that's the really the prevailing predominant issue here, that they've, they're trying to feature their guys in a way that they get priority, but they're giving priority to guys who um, fans haven't responded to yet. One more time. Hang on. Yeah, Jesus. So I'm saying, if not 10 billion in five years, the last one is believed to be what six or seven years for for a uh, hundred million a year, basically. So you're talking about creating more value per year than a hundred million at a time when ESPN is like cutting costs and stuff. Um, you know, if they can double that to two hundred million a year, maybe it seems to me much more like one twenty one one twenty five, one fifty a year than however many years they want to do that, five, six years, something like that. Um Will Nama Yunus beat Paige Van Zant? Man, that is a good question. I do not know. I really, 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 really do not know. Um I kind of like Nama Yunus in that one, but there is a little bit of the tenacity of Van Zant that is kind of hard to ignore. And in this sport, if there's a basically equal skill set, not that they have the same skills, but that they basically match up relatively equally, um, the guy or the lady who's more tenacious will always win out in the end. There's a really X factor there. But even then, even when there's a skill deficit, tenacity can overcome that in certain capacities. And I think that's what you see a lot with Paige Van Zant. But can she really do that against someone like Nama Yunus, who also was kind of aggressive and then now, but much more polished? I think I like Nama Yunus in that one, but man, I would tell you what, like, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any given at all. Uh, after Aspen's contract ends, will he go to UFC or Bellator? Um, I don't know. I hope he goes someplace that pays him a lot of money. Put it that way. Look at some more of these questions. A healthy Brock Lesnar, where would you rank him in today's heavyweight division? Uh, he could probably beat someone in the top 10. I mean, I wouldn't rank him at all right now, but after he fought someone in the top 10, I would. I would you can't. You, rankings are based on achievement. So if he's been away from the sport for so long that his achievements are no longer all that relevant, which they're not, you don't get a ranking. True or false? The next 12 months, UFC and Reebok will go their separate ways. False. Uh, is the best way to beat Rousey as she rush in gung-ho sometimes with someone with a big punch have the best chance? You are not going to beat Rousey. I mean, you, you can beat Rousey with a puncher's chance. Um, the much more likely scenario, check out the old technique talk I did with Dave Camarillo where he talks about how to beat Ronda Rousey. And his basic 
conclusion is if you can't beat her in the clinch, if you can't either win positionally, either getting on top and escaping or shutting her down in the clinch where you just dominate that position, you can't win. And I think that's correct. You got to win in the clinch. You just coming in, I, I'll, you know, I'll spark you with a nice uppercut. That might work. I mean, I'm not, I can't say it wouldn't, right? But is that the, is that, is that, is that the likely, if you really want to bank on that? I want to bank on someone who's got a, I mean, a, this virtually unstoppable clinch. That's what I want to bank on. Let's see. Someone says there better not be a flag on the t-shirt, the, the podcast t-shirt. Do not worry. The, that will never happen. Never. Uh, let's take a couple more here from Twitter. All right, let's move back to thing. Uh, Tim Kennedy. How do you think he matches up against Anderson Silva? Hard to say. He might. The one we saw, I'd like Tim Kennedy's chances a lot more given the wrestling. Jacques Array, I just don't think he can beat Jacques Array. Uh, Machida, tough fight. Tough fight. I think he can beat him, but it's a tough fight. Chris Weidman, I don't think he can beat him. And Uriah Hall, I definitely think he can beat him. Tim Kennedy can wrestle and pass guard, man. Like he's he's got some skills. Uh, Look, do you believe it's more beneficial for fighters to train jujitsu with a gi or without? Many training, uh, many believe training with a gi improves your technique better than without. I agree. So I would say both. Um, Venom starting a new MMA gym and team. One of my teammates returned from training with Drysdale in Vegas, and he mentioned some of the fighters there were saying Venom was looking at starting their own gym team with fighters they've signed like Aldo and Machida. Have you heard anything about this? I have not. And Do you think it'll be successful? It depends entirely on who they get to run the gym and, and manage operations. Is this another way for brands to stay relevant without the exposure in the UFC? It is. The Venom fight team, they're going to constantly be in the media like that. You know, it's, uh, it comes at a tremendous cost, I suppose. But, uh, um, yes. You can stay relevant that way, absolutely. Last people ask you about this. Last week's chat cut out early. Would you rather be married to a juggalo or have Subbo as an editor? I would rather be married to a juggalo because if Subbo was an editor of this website, it would go out of business in 24 hours. He is that incompetent. Can you consider Michael Bisping the best middleweight that never got a belt or even the best middleweight during that time? You certainly cannot consider him the best middleweight during that time, but you might be able to consider him the best one that never got a belt. Thomas Almeida. If Almeida wins on Saturday in impressive fashion, is it time to give him a top five guy considering his record and how good he has looked in the past? Maybe. So let me ask you this. Would you say he looked impressive against Brad Pickett? I think some might say yes. I think many might say yes. I mean, that finish was insane with the knee. But he took a lot of punishment early. And coming back from that punishment is also impressive. To me, the question is not impressive. To me, the question is, have you shored up the defensive liabilities that plague him in some of his slower starts? I think that, to me, is a little bit of an issue because he's kind of living on his chin a little bit. And I don't really like that for his long-term chances, especially the way in which he likes to fight, likes to slug it out, you know. Um, so what I want to see is crisper striking on the outside, 
strong defensive awareness and mindfulness uh, and then an application of his offense without some of those costs. And if that means muting his offense a little bit, well, then that's what it means because this this path he's on, he's going to beat good guys, but he is going to shorten his career and he's going to come up short against guys who have big power who also have good chins later on in his career. It's just it, – it, it is inevitable. He's But he's really talented. He's really talented. Look, I showed this to my friends, McGregor versus the Mountain on Facebook, and so many guys told me in an actual MMA fight, Connor would get destroyed. I told them Connor would win with a shocking quickness. Am I crazy? Yes, you are crazy. It's November. I'm Luke. I'm just wondering if you and the MMA B crew would ever consider a friendly mustache growing competition. If so, who do you think wins? Uh, I would not shave my beard, but if you want, I won't trim this and I'll. Look like a stupid Brooklyn hipster for November if you want. So let me know. <laughs> uh, would you rather wear clothing made by Reebok for an entire week or be Subbo's neighbor? I'd rather wear Reebok for the rest of my life. Uh, Grantland, Luke, can you expand upon your Facebook post about Grantland? I will. Um, I'm going to have some people on for my radio show on Friday that are going to talk about it. So tune into the Luke Thomas show Fridays, Sirius XM 93, 4 p.m. Uh, good question. I've heard countless people call her boxing uh, Ronda Rousey. I've heard countless people call Ronda Rousey's boxing amateurish. On the other hand, I've also heard people like uh, Triple G say her technique is perfect. Okay, he's just saying that because he's being nice. Rogan has stated on the record her striking is flawless. There's countless videos out there of her shadow boxing, along with uh, what she's shown inside the cage. I'm sorry, I just can't see how her boxing is technical at all. If you look at the bench fight, some of her she goes look. There's from range, she has some really good boxing. I think she has good combination. She has good distance awareness, but she puts herself in harm's way to establish certain conditions. I think for me, that's a little bit problematic. You know, she will, and she'll eat a punch to do that rather than sort of slowly measuring. Her fighting style doesn't cater to some of the more um, frequent demands of boxing. Boxing, you see guys come out, and they're trying to measure, and they're trying to figure it out and get, you know, reactions from the way they move and the way they attack. Rousey has a very judo style, which is, again, in jiu-jitsu and judo, especially judo, right? Because jiu-jitsu, you can have nogi. But in judo, what matters most in judo? Well, lots of things. But what I've been told is who gets grips first? I got your sleeve. I got your lapel. You are in trouble. Gripping, grip breaking, and gripping sequences, that is like being a relentless grip attacker. That is critical in judo. And she's still got a lot of that, in bo- and she's transferring that to boxing, which has a little bit of a different mindset where you don't come out and you just start relentlessly, you know, bombing on someone or, you know, trying to gauge. I mean, it, there's just two different um, two different necessities for success that clash there. And she hasn't quite adapted from one to the other. She hasn't had to because she's still knocking people out, you know, easily and then submitting them easily. I'm not saying this is some major deficit, but – like fundamentally you can tell her boxing suffers from that because she has that judo mentality of 
Hajime, bang, grip. I'm going to get my grips first. I'm telling you, man, jiu-jitsu, whoever, not whoever, but 99 times out of 100, whoever wins a match is because they won the gripping contest. I got my grips first, and I was able to do something with it. It's, it is, you cannot imagine how important gripping is. And in judo, it's the same thing. I got to get my grips on you first, man. I need that over-the-back grip. I need that sleeve grip. Um, obviously, gripping around the legs has been uh, compromised. But but that's that, to me, is like the critical fundamental insight there. All right, we have to go. I want to thank everyone for watching. You can follow me on Twitter, at SBN Luke Thomas. Lots of coverage coming for Bellator 145. Lots of coverage coming for... Um, UFC Fight Night 77. I appreciate everyone uh, tuning in today. We're on iTunes. Subscribe and leave a nice review. We're on SoundCloud. You can follow us along there. And until next time, thank you for watching. Stay frosty.